I love Asian food. And back in college, I decided to start experimenting with cooking Asian food myself. But there was one problem. Most Asian dishes use rice. And cooking rice on the stove is a hassle. I had to babysit the rice to make sure it didn't burn, that it was cooked enough, and it just never was very good. And then one of my Asian friends was like, Thomas, why don't you just get a rice cooker? And I was like, what's a rice cooker? And he rolled his eyes at me and brought me to the Asian grocery store where we bought a rice cooker. It had one button, the cook rice button, and it did one thing. It cooked rice and it cooked the rice perfectly every single time. Suddenly, I had the right tool for the job and prepping Asian dishes got way easier. While I never got very good at cooking Chinese food, I did have great rice, all because I had the right tool for the job. So what does this have to do with writing? Well, a lot, actually. Many writers are like me trying to cook rice on the stove. They're wasting time doing things the hard way because they don't have the right tool for the job. So what is the right tool for the job? Well, it depends on the job. And today, you're going to learn about all kinds of different tools you can use to make writing and marketing your book easier. This episode is adapted from an interview I did on the Best Seller Secrets Summit a few months back, where Derek Deppner and I talked about tools for writers. Derek kindly agreed to let me share a portion of that interview with you. And this episode will be a little bit different in that I am the guest and he is asking me questions. But I think you'll find this episode very helpful. So what are the tools that will make writing faster and easier? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Sumstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is a show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. So now on with the interview. Hey, it's Derek here with Thomas Umstadt, one of my go-to guys when it comes to learning not just about book marketing strategies, but I always get great insights from you, Thomas, when it comes to tools, technology, this microphone I'm using right now, the Samson Q9U, I picked up that tip from you. So you have just such a, a breadth of background when it comes to all kinds of helpful resources for authors. And that's what we're going to be diving into here today. And for those who don't know, Thomas Sumstadt is founder of Author Media and the host of the Novel Marketing Podcast, which is the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. Thomas helps authors build their platforms, sell more books and change the world with writing worth talking about. So welcome, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the writing, the publishing process. What are some of the things that you've found are helpful when it comes to improving your writing or the craft of writing, something that might help authors with that? So for fiction, I really like Plotter. It's a tool for helping you put together a plot for your book or uh, timelines. So if you've got various characters and various scenes and keeping them all straight, or if you want to put together a historical timeline for your epic fantasy land, <laughs> when the, you know, the first war of the dwarves was, uh, Plotter's a really great tool for that. And it's compatible with the Snowflake Method or the Hero's Journey or Romancing the Beat. So whatever plotting system that you're using, you can put into Plotter. And I really like that. Another tool for writing that I really like is Grammarly or Pro Writing Aid. So I've tested both of them. Personally, I like Grammarly, which I think is a little bit better for nonfiction. Pro Writing Aid is a little bit better for fiction, but they both act as a copy editor uh, helping clean up your writing. So you can have a more productive conversation with your editor 
using these tools to clean up your writing. Another tool that I really like for writing is PseudoWrite, which I have an episode on. It's a AI writing assistant that is really cool. <laughs> you can put in your text and it has a show don't tell button. And so it'll take a paragraph and it will rework it with smells, with sounds, with how things look. And the goal for PseudoWrite isn't really to write your book for you, but it's more of to get you out of a rut. So it's really easy for novelists not to think about how things smell. And so a make it smell button, it's like, no, that's not how it smells. It smells like this. And suddenly your story is more immersive. I've checked out Plotter. I've played around with it. And I think there's something about having the visual layout uh, where you can externalize things, move things around, keep track of all kinds of stuff. I do use Grammarly pretty much every day when I'm writing things. So I also can confirm that it's, it's very helpful. And then I haven't played around with PseudoWrite yet. I can imagine also, in addition to helping with the writing, just like an editor might help you become a, a better writer when they offer that feedback, I could see the input coming back from pseudo write or something that's helping you see opportunities it's seeing prompts like you said like maybe you don't think about the smells of something so almost as a writing trainer in a sense that it might catch certain things or show you some different possibilities and that's where i like to think of some of these things especially with ai tools some people might see two extremes out there of either swearing off any type of ai or thinking ai is going to do all the work uh whereas i'm kind of more middle ground, like, okay, it can definitely be a useful tool that could be helpful for just going, what are my biases? And so uh, on that note, are there any other tools that you find might help an author, even just improving the craft of their writing or pointing out, hey, you tend to use a lot of these same words over and over, or maybe like other little issues that might that it might catch in the writing? Well, one, you already have on your computer, and it's the text-to-speech app. So in your accessibility settings for both Mac and PC, you can have your computer read to you in a kind of toneless AI voice your own book. And that's actually good. Like there are tools that add more emotion to it, but you don't actually want more emotion to it. Because the whole point is if your writing can sing emotionally when read by a kind of a deadpan robot, it will really sing when read by a professional narrator or read by a reader on text. And so a technique that Angela Hunt uses, and I have an episode with her, she has a whole revision phase. I think it's her third or fourth draft where she prints out a chapter and then she turns her back to the computer, clicks play, has her computer read her her book. And somehow hearing the book out loud causes things to jump out. If you're fluent in English, if, if English is a second language, this is not going to work as well. But most of you listening are fluent in English and, and you'll be like, Oh, that sounds wrong. And so you just highlight it on the paper. So it's deliciously high tech because you're having AI read you your book, but also low tech in that you have a piece of paper and you just underline something that gets fixed. And now you're able to do a whole draft fixing a lot of things that'll jump out. Uh, there's also a tool called Authors AI that will give you like a 30 page report on your book and it will break down your use of words. It'll show you, Oh, you used very. 150 times in this book. You're like, okay, that's probably too many times for the word very. <laughs> it's like, or it's very heavy, right? It's like, oh, I think I can find a better way to phrase that. But I will say Grammarly and Pro Writing Aid both do more than just spell checking and grammar checking now. They can do more of that kind of in-depth control, which is impressive. They're getting much better. 
I like that tip. I haven't heard of turning your back. I know some authors will hit the play button and have it play it back. And I've seen benefits in both having something play it back to you and then also reading it out loud. So I like the reading it out loud to catch like, oh, that's hard to say. And if you're going to have an audiobook with either a narrator, or you're going to be narrating, whatever the case is, like you want to catch that stuff. And then the nice thing about something reading it back to you is uh, for another pass is that you can do that. So great tip and something that's probably going to be available for just about everyone built in some sort of text to speech. I think even Linux can read text <laughs> now. The, the one thing I'll say when you're reading it out loud, you read what you're meant to say. Whereas the computer will read what you actually typed. <laughs> you reading out loud, you you won't catch the little words that you missed here and there. So we're going from the writing. Anything else on the writing and maybe even to, into the publishing that could be like formatting or developing the book for publication? So once you've written your book and you've finished editing it, and I do encourage you to have a human editor. So just because you're using ProWriting Aid or Grammarly, that doesn't replace the need for another human to look at it. This is not the replace humans with a robots episode. I don't think that the robots are there yet. The robots are impressive, but humans are also important. So the next step would be typesetting. For typesetting, there's two tools. The best tool is still Vellum, but the downside of Vellum and why some people don't use Vellum is it's Mac only. So a lot of authors will buy a Mac just to get Vellum, which makes it kind of expensive. Although... I really think you should buy a Mac. They're better. <laughs> They're cheaper in the long run. They don't seem cheaper at first because you're like, well, gosh, this Mac is $1,000. I can get a PC for 500 But it's like, yeah, but that PC will last you two years and the Mac will last you five. And replacing a $500 computer every two years as opposed to replacing a $1,000 computer every five years, it's actually cheaper to get the $1,000 Mac. And it's a better experience. The battery is better and it's faster. But if you're on a PC, you can't run Vellum. And so Atticus is also really good. The team is working on Atticus is racing as fast as they can to catch up with Vellum. It's better than Vellum in some ways because Atticus is also trying to compete with Scrivener, which is a, another tool that we did talk about for writing books and staying organized with your book. Atticus can replace both Scrivener and Vellum and at a lower price. But I don't know if it's quite there yet. But they're adding new features every couple months. It's on a race to catch up. So those are the big two. I have an episode on Scrivener. I have an episode on Atticus as well. I have an interview with Dave Chester. And we talk about a lot of the features that are there and a lot of the features that they're planning to add in the near term. So if you're writing your book in Microsoft Word using Microsoft Word's spell checker and you switch to Atticus or Scrivener and Grammarly or ProWritingAid, your world will be transformed. <laughs> the word is the Swiss Army knife. And Swiss Army knives are nice to have when you don't have something else. But you wouldn't use a Swiss Army knife in the kitchen. You wouldn't use a Swiss Army knife when skinning a deer. Like for every specific tool that you need a knife, there are better knives. Like Swiss Army knives are good to have as a backup. But you don't want to use a Swiss Army knife as your primary tool for anything. Anything else to cover in that area before we get into like the marketing side? And if not, we can just jump in. Like, what are some of the things that can help sell more books? Let's talk about the things every author needs to do. Because when it comes to marketing, there are the things that might work for you, depending on your genre and your book, and the things that every author needs. And every author needs a website. Every author needs email. For email, MailChimp is the worst. They used to be good 10 years ago, and now they're just an absolute dumpster fire. They're really awful. They sold themselves to Intuit. 
the destroyer of goodness and happiness in the world. Into it goes in and just crushes dreams. <laughs> Which really makes me sad because I used to run a website agency for authors and we had MailChimp for all of our clients and we were happy and MailChimp was good and MailChimp has gotten worse and their competitors have gotten better. So the two competitors that I like are MailerLite, which is the cheapest option, and ConvertKit, which is the easiest to use option. But There's a new tool, Substack, which is the freest option. So Substack scales infinitely. So you can have 10,000 subscribers on Substack and pay zero money. And you even could get paid using Substack. So Substack, the idea is your newsletter is so valuable that you can have a pro version of your newsletter that people pay for. It's a blog email platform hybrid. The downside of Substack is that you can't do reader magnets and you can't do any kind of automation. So a lot of the normal tools for growing an email list you don't have, but it's very free and it scales very high. If you are wanting to grow your list and you give away reader magnets or a free short story or a free tip sheet, the two tools that I like are Book Funnel and Story Origin. Uh, those are both really strong and really good. And Story Origin, Book Funnel, both of those will integrate with either ConvertKit or MailerLite. And they both have pros and cons. Book funnel is a little bit better if you want to sell your book directly to readers, which can be really nice. If you want to sell an ebook directly to a reader and keep all of the money or almost all of the money, Book Funnel can deliver that book, either the ebook or the audiobook, directly to the reader really well. Uh, Story Origin has some really cool list building tools that Book Funnel doesn't have. And I know a lot of authors who use both. So they're not mutually exclusive. They're both good tools and they're both useful ways of growing your email list. Other tools to grow your email list, authorsxp.com. I have a episode about authorsxp. I have an episode about story origin. I have an episode about book funnel. Book sweeps is another tool that I have an episode on book sweeps. Really great tool for growing your list very quickly. So that's email. On the website side, Actually, I have a free course on building author website that walks you through how to do it. The platform that I recommend is WordPress. You need a good reason not to use WordPress. It runs 60% of the internet. And that, what that tool that you're seeing all the ads for, whatever spending the money on marketing is having to spend the money on marketing because they don't have the market share. So Wix is like 1% market share. So you have WordPress at 64% market share and Wix at like 1% or 2% market share. Squarespace, Weebly, they're all dancing around 1% or don't even rank in the rankers. So WordPress is by far the best. And the theme that I like for WordPress is Divi. And I build a website in Divi or author website in Divi in like 30 minutes in my course. <laughs> you can watch me do it. It's really easy. And Divi just yesterday sent me an email that they have now added AI to Divi. So it can generate photos for you. It can generate text for you <laughs> based off of the other information on the page where it now makes building a website even easier, like staggeringly easy. It's funny. I mean, we didn't, coordinate this, but MailerLite and, and ConvertKit are the two that I recommend as well for email services. Well, it's because they're the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, great minds think alike and discover the same best tools. Now, to be fair, I use like AWeber and GetResponse and technically most email services will get the job done. So yeah, I definitely say every author have an email list, right? I feel like probably 90 plus percent of the time, if we're talking marketing, somehow email comes up. Even if you start with zero subscribers, 
get signed up. Mailer Lite does have a free option. Even ConvertKit, I think, has a free option, if I recall correctly. Yeah, they both matched each other at a thousand free subscribers. And MailChimp, which used to have two thousand free subscribers, has now dropped to five hundred free subscribers, making them now obviously the worst option. There's like fourteen hundred different email service providers. Most of them are very good, or or good. The two terrible ones are MailChimp and Constant Contact. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Aweber, Drip, if you're happy with it, it's fine. But ConvertKit and MailerLite are my favorites of of the paid non-Substack options. Yeah, yeah. So paid once you get up to a certain number of subscribers or if you want certain extra things that you can at least get started on either one of those. I'm going to check out Divi because I have some WordPress websites, but th- I haven't updated them in years, the, the, some of the themes and, and stuff like that. So I might look into even just updating uh, to Divi theme and, and redoing some of those things. Yeah, what's fun about Divi is that it's drag and drop kind of like a Wix or a Squarespace. So you can fiddle with the look of it without having to do any code. It's a builder, like a page builder. And it really reduces the technical savvy that you need to make a really pretty Page. So I want to emphasize, though, Substack, because that's not something I hear a lot of people talking about. So how do I use this? What do I do in there? What are maybe some examples of how authors could leverage something like Substack? Like I said, I have an episode on Substack. Substack replaces your email program. It replaces a tool like Patreon if you're getting subscribers to pay you monthly. And it also, it can host your podcast. <laughs> so if you have a podcast, it can host that too. So let's say you're wanting to release your story one chapter a month for your super fans who get early access to your book, and then you'll publish the whole thing together for your regular fans. So how do you deliver one chunk of your book on a periodic basis to your paying fans? Well, Substack can do that, right? People pay $5 a month, and they get that month's slice of the story is you pick the pace and you pick the price and then your readers decide if they want to pay that or not. Substack also will do more to help you grow your audience. So Patreon won't lift a finger to help you get more patrons. I use Patreon. I have patrons for my podcast novel marketing and I have 270 patrons plus or minus and zero of those patrons came from Patreon. Those all came because I brought that person to Patreon myself. Whereas a lot of folks on Substack, once you get successful, it'll help you become more successful. It also has really good free speech rules. So where it it really took off is amongst journalists. Some of the first Substacks I started following was I wanted to know what's really going on in the war, like military experts breaking down actual battles in the conflict. And that, that kind of footage, that kind of analysis would break the terms of service for, for YouTube, potentially. But Substack is like, as long as it's not spam and as long as it's not porn, you can put anything you want here. Because the only thing who, only people who are going to see what you post are people who chose to subscribe. They're not forcing anyone to watch. Uh, there's no algorithm that's feeding you content. You're choosing what to subscribe to. Substack also would replace a RSS reader. So it has an RSS reader built in like a Google reader of old or Feedly. So you can subscribe to blogs that aren't in Substack in Substack. So you hooked me in, especially on that note about that they can actually help give exposure or help maybe even attract new people into your Substack. I got the bestseller secret Substack gets going and then maybe it will recommend it to other 
let's say maybe authors who would be interested in something like that. Is that how it how it could work? Yes, it works that way. But also there's a manual process. So Derek, let's say you had a Substack. It'll ask you, hey, recommend three other Substacks that are similar to yours. And so maybe you'll recommend mine and I'll recommend yours and we exchange that kind of promo. So if you're an author writing about some nonfiction topic or you're a novelist writing lit RPG, you go reach out to some other similar lit RPG authors. You'd feature their Substacks in exchange ask them to feature yours, or maybe you just feature them. So there's a an encouragement inside the platform to promote other Substacks, whereas each Patreon is a world unto itself. One last thing on Substack, you own your audience on Substack and on Patreon. So if you want to leave, you can export your subscribers and move somewhere else. So it's not like Facebook or Twitter or Truth Social or MeWe or basically all the social networks where if you leave, you lose your connections Right. If you're unhappy with Elon Musk and you want to stick it to the man and leave Twitter, you're leaving all of your Twitter connections on Twitter. You can't export that and take it to threads or something else. Whereas with Substack, you can, which puts it way above, in my opinion, in terms of it, it's treating you like a customer rather than a product that they're selling to someone else because there's no advertising there. They're not trying to sell your audience to advertisers. That's not their model. Yeah, that's a big important point. You own the data. You have access to your customers. That's why email is important. That's another benefit of Substack here. Not to say you, you can't build like a Facebook group or something like that. You just realize like if they decide to shut it down and you hear these horror stories, people who did nothing wrong, even Amazon, there's authors on Amazon who they'll, it gets flagged for something. The author didn't do anything wrong even. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And you're just at the mercy sometimes of uh, big tech companies. And that's why it's so important to make sure you actually have ownership of the, the data. Or they just change the algorithm. And, oh, you were doing all your stuff on a Facebook page. Well, it's about groups now. And no one's going to see your posts to your page. You got to start over with a group. So you spend two years building up your group. And you're like, oh, we're diminishing groups now. Now you have to do it through a page, but it's a different kind of page. Like Facebook will yank you around <laughs> on their chain every two years. Yeah. Whatever you're doing doesn't work. And you have to switch to something else. And it's exhausting. And so the best way to win is not to play and not to build your platform on Facebook or Twitter, or any of the other platforms trying to clone Facebook or Twitter. It's a good place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> yeah, great way of putting it. So your whole podcast talks about marketing strategies, marketing tools, all these things. Anything else that you're just like really excited about or might help an author be more productive, help them sell more books, anything like that that you feel like you want to get the word out about? So let's talk productivity, because there's some really cool productivity tools that can make life a lot easier. So once you get published, you start to do lots of interviews, podcast interviews, conference sessions, summits like this one. And so I want to walk you through how little time I spent with Derek to set up this interview because of the tools that I was using. So Derek shot me an email saying, hey, would you like to do the bestseller secret summit again? And I said, yes, I would. And then I typed in hyphen call because I have text expander. And so text expander allows you to create basically code words where if you type in a code, it will blop in a blop of text that you set. And so for instance, as right before we went live, Derek's like, can you send me your bio? And I was like, sure. So I just type in hyphen bio and it blopped in the bio that I've already written right there into the chat. 
Text Expander has saved me 1.2 million characters typed at 40 words per hour per minute. It saved me 106 hours since I've started using it. So I have one called hyphen call and it's connected to Calendly. So I have Calendly is another tool that's really great. And you can set up scheduling calendars with different rules and it will connect to your Google calendar or your Apple calendar or your Outlook calendar. And so it'll show when you're free. So I can tell it, I only want to do interviews between this hour and this hour, but not within two hours of another event. And so Derek can then look at that and it will connect to his calendar if he wants to. And it will only show him times when both of us are free. (laughs) So then he's like, oh, I want to select this time. And it integrates with Zoom. So it drops in my Zoom link right there. Of course, we decided to do this interview in Riverside, which is slightly higher quality, which is another tool that I recommend, riverside.fm. So he selected the time and there was no back and forth. There was no assistant. Derek's assistant didn't need to talk to my assistant. He sent me one email. I responded to him one time. We had the time selected. And then I was able to text expand the bio right to him. And so that doesn't seem like a lot. And and for one event, it's not a big amount of savings, right? We could have done it via back and forth email. It may have been, you know, 10 minutes of emailing, 20 minutes of emailing. But if you're doing 10 interviews a month times 20 minutes, suddenly that's 200 minutes. That's a lot of minutes. <laughs> and it's the switching cost back and forth. So text expander. Really great tool. If I want to invite someone to be a guest on my podcast, I just type in hyphen interview or whatever, and it drops in a three paragraph email saying, Hey, would you like to be a guest on novel marketing or the longest running book marketing podcast in the world? And then I can tweak it. So it's not like I'm sending somebody a, a canned email, but I'm starting from an email that I've already put together. That's better. Back when I was a literary agent, I had hyphen no, which was a standard rejection. Then I had hyphen nice no, which is a friendly rejection. And then I had hyphen heck no, which is like a please never pitch me again. (laughs) And so I had these standard emails and then I could drop them in. And the reason why I like tools like Text Expander better than canned responses in Gmail or something like that is that it works across the operating system. So I can use it in Chrome. I can use it in Outlook. I can use it in Zoom. Wherever I am, Text Expander can insert text. And I'm just barely scratching the surface of Text Expander, but like 30 seconds here, a minute there really adds up and can help make you a much more productive person. And so the three tools, Google Calendar, or, or equivalent. So if you're all in on the Apple ecosystem, and you want to do Apple calendar, that's fine. Some kind of digital calendar. If, if you're still doing paper, you're wasting a lot of time unnecessarily, especially if you have a lot of recurring events. Calendly and text expander, those three together can save you so much time. And uh, another tool that I like is Zoom for meetings, but I also have Zoom for my phone. So for an extra 15 bucks a month, Zoom will give you a phone number and you can make and receive calls and keep it separate from your cell phone. So if somebody in publishing world wants my phone number, I can give them my Zoom number, <laughs> keep it separate from my cell phone, which is basically just for my family and very close friends. Nice. So some great things here. So Calendly, that's what I use myself. And 
I forget what life was like a number of years ago before I figured out Calendly combined with the Zoom integration. I used to try to schedule calls manually and just put it in my calendar. And then I'd go in and I'd go create a Zoom meeting. Okay. Then you realize the time zone was wrong and you did the math wrong or they did the math wrong and you don't meet at the right hour. Yeah. It might not seem that much for like one thing here or there, but these little integrations, it, it's just a relief stress. And yeah, you're not worried about messing stuff up and especially Especially once you get a repeated system, it's now so much easier to just like, here's the link, book a call, the Zoom's automatically created, everyone gets the, the correct Zoom link. These are things where when I'm talking to authors, and one of the biggest things is like, I just don't have time, I don't have the bandwidth. And of course, that can be a real challenge. And sometimes when I'm looking at their processes and what they're doing, I'm like, well, no wonder, like that thing that took you 20 minutes would have taken me 20 seconds because of these little shortcuts and, and stuff. Some of these tools that we're talking about, including Calendly, Calendly has a free version, but I pay, I pay for it to get the additional links. And Derek, you probably do too. If you value your time, these tools, some of them cost money. But you can make more money, but you can't make more time, right? At the end of your life, what would you have rather have done? Spent the $5 a month for Calendly or spent the dozens of hours emailing back and forth? Can you do Tuesday at 2 o'clock? Oh, no, I can't do Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Or, you know, no, <laughs> value your time. I've never in my life regretted spending money to save time. I want to spend my time on the things that are important to me and not on the things that a computer can do. If a computer can do it, it's not important to me. It's not valuable. A computer cannot wrestle with my children. <laughs> a computer cannot go on a date with my wife, but a computer can schedule an appointment with somebody and that saves me to do the things that really matter. Yeah, such an important point because I remember even when I started signing up for some of these things, I'm like, oh, it's another five bucks, 10 bucks a month. It wasn't even like the amount of money. It just seemed like, well, there's free tools and stuff. But I'm like, whatever, I'll just do it. And then I'm like, Immediately after, I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. Like, yeah, this is easily saving me the, the amount of time to be able to to do that. So it's worth the investment, especially the very modest investment. And like you said, many of these things are very affordable. This is another reminder just for each of you as a thought process. Go like, where might you be losing time and start to notice that? I get messages, people losing their login information. Now that happens every now and then, but I noticed like years ago, I just go, I create, there's probably a better way of doing this, but I just have a, an Evernote and I just say like my bank and I put in my bank name and I just put in like, here's my username and I don't even get my full password in case someone were to like hack it, but I just like password reminder. There's probably a better way of doing it. There is a better tool. Would you like me to tell you? Yeah. What it is? So what you want for password management, first off, absolutely have a password manager. Even Derek's system is better than trying to keep it in your head. Because if you're trying to keep it in your head, what you end up doing is using the same password on multiple websites. Well, they've all been hacked. LinkedIn's been hacked. Facebook's been hacked. Twitter's been hacked. Which means, Derek, I could just look up your password, right? I could go buy or download for free the whole list of usernames and passwords. So I could just download the list, look up your email address, go one cell over, copy your password, and just see where it works. And this is why a friend of yours emailed you trying to get you to buy Viagra from them just a few days ago, right? This is how the hacks happen. So what you want to do is you want to have a unique password for every website. Well, that's hundreds and hundreds of websites, hundreds of passwords. You can't remember that. So you want a password manager. The two that I like is LastPass and 1Password. 1Password is a little bit more secure and I like it a little bit better. So really, 1Password is my recommendation. And especially on Mac, it's just an unbelievably wonderful experience. It's just 
great. It's so much stress reduction because it's not just a matter of remembering your password. It's a matter of remembering your email address. My number one source of customer support for my courses is people who forgot what email address they signed up for a course with and they create a second account on a second email address. Because the first thing they got was the free website course. And since they didn't know me very well, they used their spam email address. But then they got to know me better and they bought a more expensive course and they want that to go to their good email address. So now they have two accounts and it's a confusing mess. (laughs) It's like you could avoid it all of that with a password manager. One password costs money. It's, I don't know, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. It's so worth it. And now I have my passwords in an encrypted vault that I can access on all of my computers and all of my devices. So if I were to get kidnapped and someone were put a gun to my head and ask me for my PayPal password, I literally couldn't tell them because it's some 20 character long nonsense that only one password knows. (laughs) So I have my one password to unlock one password. That's a good secure password. But all of the other passwords are, are secured and encrypted. And it's super duper encryption. One password's never been compromised. LastPass has been hacked a few times where the user list has been stolen, like the email addresses, like everybody else. But because they follow best practices, each individual vault is uniquely encrypted. So the metaphor is someone's broken into the bank, gotten into the where all the safe deposit boxes are, but each individual safe deposit box was locked and they couldn't get to anyone's actual valuables. So they just stole the ledger of all the like people who signed in to access the safe deposit box. And that's all they were able to get. So that's what's happened to LastPass. As far as I know, one password has never been compromised. And is it perfectly safe? No. Is it safer than using the same password on more than one website? Absolutely. Because your password is available right now already <laughs> for anyone who bothers to look it up. Awesome, Tom. You shared so much here. There's even more to check out with your podcast, with the different episodes. How can people find out more about you? So I created a special search engine for my brain called PickThomasBrain.com. And it searches through not just all of my novel marketing episodes, but all of my Christian publishing show episodes and all of my personal blog posts. And so if you want to pick my brain and you don't want to pay me money to do it, just go to PickThomasBrain.com. So PickThomasBrain.com. And I've got hundreds and hundreds of articles that I've written. So you could, if you're like, what was that password manager? I don't remember. Just go to pickthomasbrain.com, type in the word password, and you'll have my, oh, he's talked about password managers in these four or five different episodes, and you scroll and you can find it. And so if you want just one website, pickthomasbrain.com, don't put the apostrophe, (laughs) because that'll break the URL. So leave the apostrophe out, pickthomasbrain.com, and you can basically ask me, any question you want. You can type in the whole question in. How do I get more email subscribers? How do I get more visits to my website? How do I get more book sales? And it will give you article after article that I've written, all available for free. If you want to go deeper, I have courses and training and coaching and all of that. But I would start with the search engine, start with the free podcasts. Novel marketing is available wherever good podcasts are found. And it's also totally free podcast. And if you're writing for the Christian market, I also host the Christian Publishing Show, which is specifically on Christian books, which is different. It's it, Christian books are a different genre, but they also have their own distribution, different uh, publishers and different retail outlets. So Christian books are different from normal books in the same way that comic books 
are different from normal books. So yes, you can get comic books at Barnes and Noble. There's also stores that just sell comic books, which if you've never been to a comic book store, you owe it to yourself to hang with the nerds at least one time. <laughs> and if you've never been to a Christian bookstore, you owe it to hang it with the Jesus people just one time for no other reason than to just expand your horizons and get out of your bubble. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thomas. I appreciate you sharing your time with us here today. Our featured patron today is Jenny Fratsky, who writes nonstop action-oriented Christian suspense about friendship and forgiveness in Montana. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of AuthorMedia.com. A longer version of this interview originally aired on the Best Seller Secrets Summit. This episode's audio was engineered by William Umstadt. The blog version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. And you can find that blog version along with links to all of the tools that I talked about at AuthorMedia.com slash 396. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.